All right, Luke chapter 5 tonight, we're going to start a new series. We've got 10 weeks, 10 Wednesdays, till we take a break in July. So for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be traveling through the Gospel of Luke, looking at my favorite passages out of Luke, and the whole series is going to be learning about being a disciple of Jesus. And tonight, even, we're going to be talking specifically about how Jesus makes disciples. And why that's important is because Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples. So, I think it's important for us to understand what it is that Jesus did to make disciples so that we can follow his pattern and example. And secondly, because it's going to show us how God is going to work in our lives. You see... In the Gospel of Luke, Luke is going to put Jesus front and center. He's going to do that because he wants us to understand who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what he wants to do in our lives. And also, one more time, I want to just go back one week, because you're going to see these themes even tonight, when Nicole talked about the five expressions of heart worship, you know, the thanksgiving, the praise, the acknowledging God, the adoration and the obedience, you're going to see some of those show up again tonight. And by the way, I just have to say, it was good. It was good. I, I, she uses more scripture than I do. She had you guys turn into Second Chronicles 20 and, and, you know, the Battle of Jericho and Paul and Silas in prison. Yeah, it, it was, it was great. I, I enjoyed it very, very much. So much so I listened to it several times. So tonight, Luke chapter 5, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses. And there's three sort of scenes that are all connected here. The first is we're going to see that Jesus is teaching and what's happening with the crowd. Then we're going to see this miracle that Jesus performs and the reaction and response of Peter and the disciples. And then we're going to see Jesus call Peter, and really the other disciples, and what will their response be. But first, I want us to look at the first three verses. Now, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The only time in the Gospel of Luke that Luke calls it the lake of Gennesaret rather than the lake of Galilee. I think there's a a story in here somewhere because... It's also called the Sea of Galilee by some gospel writers. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. It's like, what's up with that? Why did it have so many different names? Anyway, and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. You get the picture here. Pretty simple picture. At first, Jesus is on the shore, and he's teaching the Word of God. And he realizes there's so many people there that in order for him to be heard by everybody... He's going to go out into the lake on a boat and use the lake, if you will, the water as a natural amplification so that everyone can hear him. Now, I want you to put yourself, as we encourage you to do at all times, 
into this picture here. Put yourself there. Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and Nicole was pressing around him to hear the word of God. Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and Craig was pressing around him to hear the word of God. Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and Arlene was pressing around him to hear the word of God. Put your name in there. Would that have been you and I at that time? The word pressing around expresses urgency. I mean, these people really want to hear the word of God. They want to listen and they want to learn. And they don't want to just hear men. They want to hear God's voice. That's what the Word of God means. And we're going to come back to the Word Word in just a few minutes. But I want us to stop here for a minute and, and pause and, and realize, wow, wouldn't that be something if that was the case today? That people literally couldn't wait to hear what God was going to say? to hear the voice of God, to want to know, God, what do you want to say to me? And expressing an urgency in listening and learning from what God is saying. Let me say this. How does Jesus make disciples? Well, first of all, he uses the word of God. You and I cannot make disciples apart from the Word of God. We can't improve on what Jesus did. How was Jesus creating disciples? He started with teaching the Word of God. And fortunately, he had an audience at this point that really wanted to listen to God's voice. But you'll notice also in verse 2 that yes, he saw two boats by the lake. Boats that were owned by Peter and his business partners. We learn over in verse 10, John and James, who were fishermen. And Jesus stepped in to one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him. He simply made a request of Simon. He asked him something simple, something small at first. Simon, I want to use your boat to teach these people. Would Simon be agreeable to that? It's one of the ways that Jesus makes disciples. He begins by asking us to do something small and to see what our response will be. And not only is Jesus stepping into the boat, he's really taking a, a bigger step into Simon's life. It's what he wants to do with everyone. He wants to take a bigger step into Simon's life and he begins by asking Simon to do something or to allow him to do something, which is borrow one of Simon's boats. And before I go on, let me say this. Even though this passage does not explicitly say this, this was not the first encounter that Simon and his business partners and his fishing companions had with Jesus. As we're going to see, 
they had already had contact with Jesus and they had already been listening to Jesus and following him to a certain degree. But now it was time for a deeper level of commitment. And Jesus saw potential in these fishermen and he wanted to give them the opportunity to follow him a little bit more closely. That's what Jesus will do with all of us. He will try to step a little bit further into our life and he will begin by asking us to do something and to see what our response will be. In turn, when you and I are seeking to make disciples, not only do we have to use the foundation of God's word, but we can begin by asking people as God lays them on our heart to do something. A personal request is powerful. It's the way Jesus approached others. By simply going to them and asking them. And seeing what their response would be. Sometimes it will be, no, I'm not interested in getting involved and helping or whatever. But other times, they will be interested. Their heart will be open. There's a time where there's like, yeah, I want to do more. I want to be a little bit more involved. And it's up to you and I as disciple makers to to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, who is it that you want me to ask to maybe take a further step and get them a little bit more involved, give them a little bit more responsibility? You see Jesus doing that here with Simon and his fishermen companions. So then it says in verse 3, Once he went out a little ways into the water, he sat down and he taught the word or taught the crowds from the boat. He explained in great detail. That's what the word taught means. He explained in great detail the word of God. Foundational. That's where it all begins. Jesus was teaching people the word of God. They were hearing the voice of God. Of God, And oh, that we would, you know, keep that in mind that you and I, even as Christians, when we read, when we hear the word of God, we're not just hearing any kind of word or any, we're hearing God's voice. Literally, God is speaking to us when we connect with his word. It's as if God was literally sitting across from us and having a conversation and saying, Dave, let me share something with you. You know? Mike, let me share something with you. I want to speak to you about something. That's what Jesus is doing when we hear his voice. And You and I need to be tuned in, as we talked about Sunday, to God through His Spirit and be listening for His voice. Remember in the Old Testament, the call of Samuel? That God had not spoken and and they were even wondering, well, whose voice is that? And it was like, oh, it's, it's God's voice because it was something that they hadn't heard a lot and they weren't really looking for and they weren't really listening for. You and I can get into, if you will, the habit of listening for God's voice and hearing Him. The more we tune into God and the more we say, God, I'm here. Speak, God, I'm listening. 
And the more then that we hear him and that we respond to him, the more attuned and in tune we will be to the voice of God. It takes practice, but it's something that we can develop in time as disciples. So that's the first thing. Then notice verse 4, beginning sort of the second scene. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Now, I want to make this contrast. In verse 3, when Jesus asked Simon about using his boat, that was a simple request. It was a question. Okay? But in verse 4, when he says to Simon, put out into the deep water, that's a command. That's a directive. Obviously, there's a difference. There's a difference between asking someone to do something, just a simple request, and commanding them to do something. So notice now where Jesus goes. He starts by asking a simple question, seeing what our response is there. Obviously, Simon was okay with it. So then Jesus gives a command and says, I command you to do this. And then Jesus is going to see what's our response. Now, obviously, like I said, even as Nicole talked about last week, it's basically two choices, obedience or disobedience. That's what Jesus is looking for. And here's the thing. As Jesus develops disciples, Jesus especially is going to command us to do things that many times don't make sense. That's counterintuitive. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at this scene. Peter and his band of business partners, they were the fishermen, right? They knew that in order to catch fish, you had to do it at night, not in the daytime. In fact, Peter even is going to tell the Lord, Lord, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But Jesus wants to see, will you have faith and trust me even though it's counterintuitive and it doesn't make any sense to you? Will you trust me? You say, how can Jesus even have a basis or foundation to do that? The Word of God. You see, the word, word here that's used throughout this passage is the Greek word rema. It is a word that means that this is coming from the living voice of God, and it is words that establish and build faith in people. It's different from the Greek word logos, which is simply any kind of word. No, this just isn't any kind of word. This isn't just a word of man. This is a rema word. This, this is the word of the living God. This is his voice. And when you and I listen to the voice of God, it can begin, if we respond to it, to establish faith in that God and build faith in that God. It's the same word that Jesus used to the devil when he was being tempted when Jesus said to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word, rema word, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 10, verse 17, when Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing what? The word, the rema word of God. You see, Jesus knew that Peter had been listening to him. And isn't it interesting, and this is especially good for those of us who speak, we can't base whether someone's tracking with us by their body language and what they're doing, because in that case, you and I would have probably concluded, Peter's not listening. He, he's not like the crowds that are pressing up there. And, and, and No, he and his business partners, remember, they're over there washing their nets. And yet they're listening. It's like I've had people over the years. There's times where I might be looking out in the audience and I'm, and, and I'm concluding, oh, that person, they're not listening to, to me at all. And you know sometimes what happens? God will impress upon them to come up to me after the service and they'll start asking me questions about the message and then I'll go, oh, they were listening. It didn't look like they were, but they were. Maybe that's, you know, been you and I at times. Or maybe you know of others that, you know, you didn't think they were listening, but they were listening. So Peter and his band of business partners, fishermen, were over there on sort of the other side washing the net. But they were listening to the Word of God. And God said, launch out. And he says, launch out or put out your nets into the deep water. The second time now in two messages we've seen that word deep. God always wants us to go deeper. We sang about that even tonight. God wants us to launch out into the deep. Keep your finger there in Luke and go back with me to the passage we looked at Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 going to begin at verse 9, where Paul says, but just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ear or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed these to us by the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the deep things, the deepest things, the most profound things of God. And so Paul is encouraging the Corinthians and all followers of Christ, then through the Spirit, go deeper. God wants you to go deeper with Him. He wants you to know Him more and more and more. And that's what Jesus was saying, even using the boat. Launch out into the deep. Then if you go back to Luke chapter 5, notice what Jesus also says. It's a command, but it's a command that's accompanied by a promise. There is an intended purpose or result. He doesn't say to Peter or to Simon at this point, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for you might get a catch. No, he doesn't say that. He says, lower your nets for a catch. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you, Peter, put your trust in my word, and you believe in me, you're going to see things happen. 
unbelievable things, but you've got to have the faith to launch out into the deep and to do what is counterintuitive. Now, a couple other things here before we move on. One, well, let me go on. <laughs> because this actually, it, it'll make more sense after I go to the next, the next phrase. Simon answered, verse 5, Master. That's important. That doesn't mean at this point that Simon believes he's the Messiah, the Son of God. That's going to come in just a moment. All that word means is to, to Simon, he is their acknowledged spiritual leader. At this point in his life, he's simply looking at Jesus as a great prophet, a great teacher, a great spiritual leader, and that they have begun to follow him as that, but they truly yet don't believe in who he really is. But that faith is being created because they're around Jesus, they're hanging around him, and they're hearing this word, this Rema word that establishes and builds faith in human beings if we'll respond to it. And by the way, the more, again, we respond to the voice of God, the more our faith will be built. The more we'll trust Him to, to go out into the deeper places and to do things that just don't seem like, you know, they're, they're right or logical or whatever. But if God says it, we're just going to do it. And then God does amazing things. So notice the struggle here, though, with Peter. He says, Master... We worked hard all night and caught nothing. We put forth effort to the point of exhaustion and caught nothing. Why? Again, because they knew that as fishermen, that's when you fished. Not in the heat of the day. And you can almost hear Peter and his business partners going, this guy's a carpenter and he's telling fishermen how to fish? But here's an important point. It's a reminder to all of us that Jesus can speak even into our vocation. You see, we've got to get away from the whole compartmentalization of our, of our faith and our life with God as if, well, this part of my life is secular and this part is spiritual or sacred. And God has nothing to say to me about my business and how to run it or how to do it or, or you know, how to be a, a better parent or whatever. No, God speaks in and wants to speak into every area of our life. And if we will listen to Him and trust Him, everything is going to change. Everything. He, he can even tell fishermen how to be better fishermen, you see. Because He's God. Any of you have never heard Dave's testimony? about how he got to a place in his life where he turned, in a sense, his vocation over to the leading of God and how things changed. It's a great example of what I'm talking about here. Many of you have done the same thing. You just found like it's just better to just do it God's way and trust Him for everything and look at what happens. And it does. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these guys to see, is that I'm more than just the master. I'm more than just your acknowledged spiritual leader. And I want you to see that because that's really the key for this whole thing is understanding who Jesus really is. That's the goal of God always. He wants us to get to a place where we understand every day and realize every day who He really is. 
So notice the key phrase here at the end of verse 5. Peter says, But at your word I will. I want you to remember those five words. At your word. Rema. I will. That's key. That is absolutely key. Because guess what? You and I have to get there too. We've got to come to a place in our life where when God asks us or commands us to do something, even something that doesn't make sense, something that is counterintuitive, something that just doesn't add up to us in our human logic or our human minds, that we come to the same conclusion that Simon did. At your word, I will. I'll lower the nets. And so notice the result of Peter's obedience to the word of Jesus. When they had done this, and here comes now the miracle, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were about to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Several things here. First of all, notice something very interesting in Peter's response to this great miracle that Jesus does. First of all, he doesn't thank Jesus for this great catch of fish. Not because he's not thankful but because the fish don't matter anymore. I mean, think about it. These are fishermen. All they've ever cared about is catching fish, and now they've caught the most fish they've ever caught at one time, and that really doesn't matter anymore. It's like human beings. It's like, I want God to give me this, and I want God to give me that. And it's only when you and I truly understand and recognize and acknowledge who God is that all the stuff we ask Him for really is secondary to God Himself. And that's where Peter was. And second of all, did you notice something else? There's been no mention of sin in this whole passage. And yet Peter now all of a sudden is like, Lord, get away from me. And the word now that he uses to address Jesus is not the word master, acknowledged spiritual leader. It's the word for Messiah. He's saying, I now believe through this miracle that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You're not just a man. Why is that important? Well, not that sin is not important, but it's just a reminder to us that when any of us come face to face with who Jesus really is, we are reminded of the greatness of Jesus and the smallness of us and the sinfulness of us and the holiness of God. It's what happens all through the Bible. Remember Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he said, Woe is me! Because as you and I get closer to God, we can't help but, but be 
amazed and astonished and in awe of how great God is, but how sinful and small we are in comparison to God. Peter now is face to face with the incalculable and inestimable greatness of Jesus Christ. And he stands in awe of Jesus. In fact, what Peter does is an act of worship. He falls down on his knees before Jesus. That's worship. That's acknowledging and, and, uh, who God is, and that's adoring Him. The psalmist writes, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. By the way, let me say this about worship. Nicole was absolutely right that all true worship starts in the heart at the heart level. It's an internal thing. That's where it starts. That's its foundation. And that's where we've got to focus. But make no mistake about it. Like anything else that starts there internally, it eventually is going to have its expression outwardly and externally. Bodily. It's like love. I can say I, I love someone and, and have this feeling of love on the inside, but eventually the Bible says love's got to be acted out. There, there's got to be expression. There, there's got to be deeds. And the same thing is true with worship. Worship starts and its very foundation is our heart, but it's got to be expressed bodily and physically. And God calls His people to express their worship of Him in bodily, physical ways. That's why one of the things that God is impressing upon me and something that Nicole and I are going to be working on as we go into this new season is that we're going to get away at this church from being more spectators and being more participants. And where worship in the Word works seamlessly rather than compartmentalized like it is in most of our churches. Because if you study the Word of God and you read how worship is supposed to be, it, it's not supposed to be, well, now we do worship and now we do the Word. It, it all comes together and works together. And it's where we are engaged from the time we, we come together corporately and we're physically into it. We're not just mentally into it. We've got to be mentally into it, loving God with all our, our mind, but loving God too with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Can I tell you something? I, I think God's desire would be that when God's people come corporately to worship Him, it tires and tuckers us out a little. Instead of us sitting back in our chair and just watching, you know, sort of the people up on stage do it all, that we get really physically engaged. As I've said to you before, you know, how is it that in our society, it's okay for us to stand for hours at a, at a sporting event or even stand in line for hours to get tickets to the sporting event, but somehow we find it hard to, you know, stand for a little bit and worship our God. 
And how is it that we can stand and cheer and clap and, and, and root and do all these things for a sports team, but we find it really hard to express physically and bodily our worship of the Lord? I want you to know that we're going to encourage you to do that. Not that you have to. Always wanted to be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but that's what you see worship as in the Bible. Peter, verse 9, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Again, they were utterly amazed and in awe. Not so much of the fish, but obviously of Jesus who brought this all about. They, they know it was him. Because he's the one that made the command to go out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch. And they saw it happen. Folks, I'm, I'm here to remind all of us, including myself, that when you and I respond to the living voice of God and we hear his voice and we respond to it, we will see God do amazing things. But so often, we're not willing to launch out into the deep. It doesn't make sense, God, so I'm, I'm not going. Or even like here, I'm afraid. And notice... It says in verse 10 that James and John Zebedee's sons who were Simon's business partners were there. And what does Jesus say to Simon? Do not be afraid. Another command. Do not be paralyzed by fear or run away, Peter. I don't need you to run away at this point. Yes, you're a sinful person. Yes, I am a holy God, but you need to understand something. I love you. I'm going to die for you. I want to bring you into a close relationship with I have plans and intentions for you. Going back to Stephen's message of a couple of weeks ago, the image of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to be afraid. I will be your mediator. Think of this. Hell is being in the presence of God without a mediator. Heaven is being in the presence of God with a mediator. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't run away. I may ask you to do some crazy things, at least in your mind, but I'm God. With me, all things are possible. There's nothing too hard for me. Don't be afraid of what I'm going to ask or command you to do. I will be with you. And then Jesus says, from now on, you will be catching people. Very interesting. The word catching here means to captivate or intrigue. Jesus is saying, I want you to live so close to me in such a way that your life captivates others and intrigues others and brings them in. In a sense, our life, comparing it to a, a fishing thing, is, is to be like a lure on the end of a hook that draws people to our Savior by the way that we live. God wants us to captivate and intrigue others by the way that we live. That's how we catch others into the net of Jesus. But here's what I want you to see. Remember the five words I told you to remember in verse 5? At your will, I will. Now notice these five words from verse 10. From now on, you will. 
Five words. You see, when you and I, like Peter, are willing, even maybe in struggling, to say, at your word, I will, then Jesus says, guess what? I got plans for you from now on. You will. Jesus is going to take us all, just like he took Simon, to a whole other level. When you and I begin to respond to that rema word of God, that word that establishes and builds faith in our life, when we hear the voice of God speaking to us and we respond positively to it. So what's the response then finally? When they had brought their boats to shore, verse 11, they left everything and followed him. Now, here's the thing. This is so important. Hang in there with me for just a couple more minutes. I know I'm running over. Leaving everything doesn't mean they abandon their families and they abandon even the fishing business. They, they fished again. The words left everything means that they let go of and released everything. In other words, at this point, everything else in their life was secondary to Jesus. That's what it means. It means that at this point, Jesus and following Him was preeminent. He was the first priority. They let go of and released everything else. That's what Jesus, that, that's what He wants to bring about in our life. Where we understand who He really is. Where we, we stand in all of Him. Where we truly go, God, wow. You're amazing, God, as we sang about. Our amazing God. And God, because you are so amazing, there is nothing, no one, anything else in my life that should take priority over you. You're first. That's what it means. In a sense, it's an illustration of what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You won't give up anything. You'll find that You'll, you'll be richer and wealthier and more blessed than anything you could ever imagine if you just let go of and release everything else and put Jesus first in your life. And that's exactly what they did. At this point, they truly became a disciple. That's what the word followed means. They accompanied Jesus full time. Instead of just maybe dropping in on one of his messages every once in a while by the Sea of Galilee or you know, bumping into him every once in a while. Now they stuck close to him every day and they accompanied Jesus. And that's what Jesus is looking for from us. He simply wants us to just accompany him and follow him every day, understanding more and more of who he is and how great he is and how wonderful he is and what he wants to do in and through us. And when he tells us to launch out into the deep, as crazy as it might be, we go, God... Okay, at your word, I will. And every time we respond that way, Jesus will say, and from now on, you will. You will. You've opened up a whole new chapter in your life. All new possibilities start to come into our life when we respond to the word of God. Well, this was just the first week. We got nine more to go. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these great, great encounters that people had with Jesus while he was here on earth. And yet, Lord, we can be right there with them, experiencing the same thing that they did. 
Because Jesus invites us to be a part of what He's doing right here and now, just like He did Simon and the other fishermen. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we would be as they were. That we would be willing to let go of everything. To release everything else in our life and put you first. To accompany you, Jesus, and follow you where you lead us every day. There could be no more exciting, fulfilling, satisfying, and wonderful life than being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not only to be a disciple, but help us learn through you in our study of Luke how to make disciples. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week.